The practice of blood transfusion has been around for centuries, although it looked very different than the blood transfusions that we see today. In 1667, Dr. Jean-Baptiste Denis, official physician to King Louis XIV of France, extracted blood from a sheep and introduced it into the circulation of a 15-year-old boy. He went on to transfuse several more patients in a similar fashion, and often in front of a large audience. As you can imagine, this was a dangerous practice, and most of Dr. Denis's patients died soon after. Thankfully, our understanding of blood has since drastically improved. We now have the ability to run a slew of immunologic and serologic tests on donated blood, separate whole blood out into its different components with their own unique purposes, and store these components for later use. All of this technology allows us to get blood products as safely as possible to people who need them. Today, our patient needs blood products, and you are the doctor. Welcome to The Internet Work, a podcast written by medical residents meant to serve you better on the wards and on call. Today's episode is entitled Transfusion Without Confusion, a practical guide to transfusion medicine. Because transfusion medicine is a lengthy topic, we've divided this podcast into two parts. In the first part of this series, we will talk about the physiology behind blood and its components, a clinical approach to evaluating a patient who may need blood products, as well as an overview of different products and their indicated uses. In the second part, we will discuss acute and chronic transfusion reactions, including their presentations, workup, and early management. Time for our minute physiology. Whole blood, which is what comes out of us when we bleed or donate blood, is further divided up into three main components for transfusion, red blood cells, platelets, and plasma. Red blood cells contain hemoglobin, which carries oxygen to perfuse our tissues. Platelets are the principal players in primary hemostasis, sticking to exposed endothelium in broken blood vessels and activating to start off the coagulation cascade. Plasma is the acellular element of blood. It contains proteins such as clotting factors and fibrinogen, which are important to clotting in secondary hemostasis. Plasma also contains albumin, the most abundant protein in circulation. Albumin is a key component in regulating fluid balance between the intravascular and extravascular spaces. You may have heard of the concept of a blood type. Blood is typed based on which major antigens or marker proteins sit on the surface of red blood cells. The system of surface antigens is actually incredibly complicated, but as a simplification, the most important antigen family is the ABO family, which consists of two antigens called A and B. The blood's type is then named after which of these antigens is expressed. A patient with red blood cells that expresses both antigens has type AB, and if your bloods express neither, you have type O blood. Knowing your patient's blood type is important because we have inherent antibodies against the antigens that we don't express. For example, people with type O blood have both A and B antibodies, whereas people with type AB blood have neither. If a patient receives a mismatched blood transfusion, these antibodies will start destroying the cells expressing their corresponding antigens, leading to a potentially fatal reaction. But more about that later. The RH blood group system is the second most important one after ABO, 
and must also be considered with matching donor blood with recipient blood. Rhesus factor, or RH, is another antigen occurring on the red blood cells of 85% of humans. When RH negative blood is exposed to the rhesus factor antigen, antibodies against RH will be produced. These antibodies are now primed to attack any RH antigen that they see, which can cause hemolytic transfusion reactions, similar to with ABO mismatching. Notably, in a pregnant woman, the RH antibody is capable of crossing the placenta and attacking fetal red blood cells if they express the RH antigen. This can lead to potentially fatal hemolytic anemia in the fetus. In addition to ABO and RH, there are dozens of other minor group antigens which can also cross-react with milder adverse effects. These will be discussed in further detail in part 2 when we talk about transfusion reactions. Each blood group has specific indications for use. There are general principles that govern the use of all blood products. Because they have associated risks and adverse effects, it is important only to prescribe them when indicated, to prescribe the correct product for the situation, and to only use the amount that is needed. Some patients who require blood product transfusions may be completely asymptomatic, with abnormalities detected on routine blood work. But, generally speaking, patients who require blood products are often quite sick and have the potential to become acutely unstable. For example, a patient might be requiring red blood cells or platelets because they are acutely bleeding. Always think about your ABCs, airway, breathing, and circulation, and ensure your patient is stabilized with adequate IV access and monitoring before proceeding with your assessment. Another important principle to remember is that blood products are also IV fluids. Because they are colloid fluids with high oncotic pressure, they will cause additional intravascular volume expansion beyond the volume of their contents. This is especially true for packed red blood cells. Always perform a thorough volume status assessment before ordering a transfusion. Patients who have conditions that make them more sensitive to volume overload, such as congestive heart disease, may benefit from a slower transfusion or diuresis before the transfusion. Informed consent from the patient is required before the administration of any blood product. This involves explaining the indication for transfusion, potential risks, and alternative treatments. Transfusions can only be given without consent in emergency situations where urgent transfusion is needed to preserve life and a substitute decision maker cannot be reached in a timely manner. In these cases, don't forget to check the patient's medical record and their belongings for any documentation of prior wishes refusing transfusion, for religious or for other reasons. We will now discuss the indications and basic principles for the most commonly used blood products, red cells, platelets, plasma, cryoprecipitate, and albumin. For the purposes of this episode, we will focus on the above products. However, it is worth noting that there are other specialized blood products not covered here. Red cells are indicated in the setting of severe anemia. Each unit of blood will increase the hemoglobin by about 10 grams per liter. A generally used rule of thumb for a stable, non-bleeding patient is to transfuse if the hemoglobin is below 70 grams per liter or if the patient is acutely symptomatic. Symptoms of anemia include fatigue, 
shortness of breath at rest or on exertion, reduced exercise tolerance, and chest pain. In patients with a cardiac history, including coronary artery disease or a recent myocardial infarction, you may consider a higher hemoglobin target of 80 grams per liter, since they are more sensitive to coronary demand ischemia. In reality though, optimal transfusion targets can vary greatly from patient to patient, depending on the cause and chronicity of anemia, as well as understanding comorbidities in the clinical context, for example, preoperative, trauma, or pediatrics. Your clinical judgment should supersede an arbitrary transfusion target. As per the Canadian Choosing Wisely guidelines, packed red blood cells should be ordered no more than one unit at a time in stable, non-bleeding patients. Before transfusion of packed red cells, both the patient blood and donor blood must undergo testing to ensure compatibility. A type and screen test will determine patient's ABO blood type, their rhesus factor status, and screen for the presence of the most commonly found antibodies, and is valid for typically 72 hours. In contrast, a type and cross takes this one step further. The patient's red cells will be physically combined with donor red cells to ensure no cross-reactivity. If this test is successful, the unit will be reserved for your patient for a limited amount of time. Only order a type and cross match if you are fairly confident that your patient will require a red blood cell transfusion in the next 24 to 48 hours, and always specify in your order the number of units that you would like cross-matched. However, it's also worth noting that some centers use an electronic rather than physical cross-match, in which case blood will always be matched for your patient after ordering a type and screen. If there is an emergent indication for transfusion, such as life-threatening bleeding, it is possible to forgo this testing by asking your blood bank for uncross-matched red blood cells. This will usually be O-negative for premenopausal females and O-positive for all males and postmenopausal females. Platelets are transfused to control or prevent bleeding in patients. In adult medicine, platelet transfusions are given one adult unit at a time, which contains the pooled platelets from four separate donors. In general, platelets should be given to patients who are actively bleeding and whom low platelet count or platelet dysfunction is thought to be a major contributing case. Otherwise, most patients can tolerate significant thrombocytopenia without adverse effects, as spontaneous bleeding through an intact endothelium usually does not occur until the platelet drops to single digits. When giving platelets, the transfusion target will vary greatly based on the clinical situation, and the following should only be taken as guidelines. In actively bleeding patients who have congenital or acquired platelet dysfunction, such as recent complex cardiac surgery or through antiplatelet therapy, the decision to transfuse platelets is controversial but is often done. On the other hand, patients who have a history of immune thrombocytopenic purpura, or ITP for short, should avoid getting platelet transfusions, regardless of the platelet count, unless there is life-threatening bleeding. Platelet transfusions should also be avoided in patients with heparin-induced thrombocytopenia or thrombotic thrombocytopenic purpura, as they will only further feed the fire in causing more thrombotic events. Prophylactic platelet transfusion should be offered in some clinical settings. 
patient experiencing bone marrow suppression secondary to active chemotherapy or stem cell transplants should be transfused to maintain a platelet count above 10. In the critically ill patient population, one may consider prophylactically transfusing to maintain a platelet count above 20. Patients preparing to undergo major procedures and or surgery should be transfused to a platelet count above 50, whereas patients undergoing intracranial surgery should be targeting a higher threshold of platelets over 100. Due to their short shelf life and limited availability, platelets are typically not able to be administered according to blood type, except in extenuating circumstances. Fresh frozen plasma contains all of the clotting factors, fibrinogen, plasma proteins including albumin, and physiological anticoagulants such as protein C and S. It can be used for emergent reversal of coagulopathies in the setting of active bleeding, or when an urgent surgical procedure is required. FFP is especially helpful in active bleeding in a patient with known liver dysfunction. However, FFP is not effective for coagulopathies where the INR is less than 1.8, as this indicates that factor levels should be adequate for hemostasis. It can also technically be used in coagulopathies resulting from single factor deficiencies, such as hemophilia A or B. However, recombinant factor products, which are safer and more targeted, have been around for a long time and should be available in most modern hospitals. In contrast, prothrombin complex concentrate, or PCC, is a similar product which only contains vitamin K-dependent clotting factors. PCC is the first choice option to reverse the effect of warfarin in an actively bleeding patient, and FFP should only be used if PCC is not available. This is because PCC is a much more concentrated product that delivers more factor protein in a smaller volume. Neither PCC nor FFP should be used to correct an elevated INR in the absence of bleeding. Cryoprecipitate is so named because it is prepared by collecting the precipitate from FFP and contains only high concentrations of factor 8 and fibrinogen. It is indicated in settings of low fibrinogen, such as massive hemorrhage, massive transfusion, and disseminated intravascular coagulation. The usual dose of cryoprecipitate for adult patients is 10 units. Many Canadian hospitals have replaced cryoprecipitate with fibrinogen concentrate, which is used in the same settings and provides a more reliable dose. Albumin is the most abundant plasma protein and can be given in 100 milliliter aliquots of either 25% or 5%. It works to expand the intravascular volume and can be used in a variety of situations. Evidence-based uses of albumin include post-large-volume paracentesis of over 5 liters in patients with ascites and as part of treatment of spontaneous bacterial peritonitis and hepatorenal syndrome. Albumin is often also used for fluid resuscitation in critically ill patients who are not responding adequately to crystalloid fluids, although this usage is controversial and not well supported by evidence. Giving albumin for hypoalbuminemia alone has not shown any benefit and is not recommended. One indication for packed blood cells, platelets, and FFP all at the same time is during a massive transfusion. Most hospitals have their own specific massive transfusion protocol, but it should generally be activated if vital signs suggest profound hemorrhagic shock, if the patient requires more than three units of blood over one hour, 
or if there has been a loss of over 50% of blood volume. Scoring systems such as the shock index and the ABC score for massive trauma can also help predict the need for massive transfusion in the right clinical setting. Massive transfusion protocols allow blood to be delivered promptly to the patient with the goal of getting the first units of red cells within 10 minutes of protocol activation. Blood is then transfused in a 1 to 1 to 1 ratio of platelets to FFP to red blood cells in order to avoid dilutional coagulopathy. Most protocols also include additional cryoprecipitate or fibrinogen. Hypothermia and acidosis will significantly decrease the activity of clotting factors, so these should be addressed promptly to avoid coagulopathy leading to further bleeding. During massive transfusion, fluid warmers should be used for all crystalloid and colloid fluids being administered to the patient. Blood work is done regularly while the patient is being resuscitated. This includes ACBC, blood gas, fibrinogen, INR, and PTT to guide correction of coagulopathies. Serum electrolyte and extended lights are also followed closely. Hyperkalemia, hypomagnesemia, and hypocalcemia can occur as a side effect of massive transfusion and can induce myocardial depression and arrhythmias. Therefore, these electrolyte abnormalities should be recognized and corrected promptly. Thank you for listening to today's episode entitled Transfusion Without Confusion on Transfusion Medicine. Remember, if you've now listened to part one, make sure you listen to our part two episode for more information about transfusion medicine. This episode was written by Dr. Grace Sang, an internal medicine resident, and reviewed by Dr. Graham Quest, hematopathologist, and Dr. Siddharta Srivastata, general internist. The Internet Work series was created by Alison Lai, developed by Zara Morali and Leah Karnopoulos. This podcast was produced and recorded by Zara Morali. Music production by Laxman Zavantha Mohan. If you liked this podcast, please like and subscribe at wherever you get your podcasts. The Internet Work is now on Instagram, so please give us a follow and of course follow our Twitter account for more information. Thanks for tuning in and we hope to see you again soon.